Any better? There we go. Great. Um, just go with Karen for a second. And in your mind, could you, you write it down if you want to on your phone, um, just a, a list of the people that, if you're really honest, you feel that you need to get even with. Parents, siblings, friends, teachers, other people you know, friends at school, uni, whoever. But just in your mind, just th th there will be people, I guarantee it, who, who you just feel deep down, they might even be sitting in this room, um, who you feel you need to get even with. And if you, would, if you were Karen, these people would be on your list. And just, just spend a moment thinking about that. I want to try and summarize what we're going to do tonight, which is to hear what Jesus says into exactly this situation. Uh, we have seen uh, what our culture says in all of its variety. Uh, we've heard from the Bible what Jesus says. And the heart of what he's saying is that he is a very different kind of king. And so therefore he is calling us, his followers, to a very different way to confront evil in the world. And if we could summarize it, Hugh Dennis did it, we shouldn't take revenge. But I want to explain why that is so important for Jesus. He feels that there is a much better way, but we have to understand that it is costly, and it was then, and it is now, enormously countercultural. Now, on today, Remembrance Sunday, I just want to make clear that I do not think this passage applies to war and applies uh, to times when tribes or countries or bigger groups of people are fighting each other. Uh, we have a lovely resource as Christians. It's called the Christian Just War Tradition. And it's a body of thought around uh, what times uh, it would be appropriate and fair and right uh, for Christians to use force to resist evil. And uh, the foundation of the Christian just war tradition is love your neighbor. That's where we start. So if we see a neighbor who is being wronged, it may be that part of our loving that neighbor is to take part in defending them and helping them. And that may well mean that we need to use force and sometimes we might need to use lethal force. But this tradition always wants to remind us that we are to love all of our neighbors. So we're to love our wronged neighbor, the person who is victimized, but we're also to love the bully. Now loving the bully might be standing up to the bully, but we still have to love them. And if you put that in the global context today, that means that we want to love our neighbors in Ukraine, but we also want to love our neighbors in Russia. That would mean that Christians understand that it's right to use force to resist evil. And so therefore, that's why our country believes it's right at the moment to give support to, the, uh, to Ukraine in their fight against Russia. But we also want to love and pray for our Russian neighbors and not to descend into hatred of them even if we have to stand against them. But I don't think the exact focus of tonight's passage is war. 
It's something else. And Jesus starts this section by quoting, as he often does in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from something that, that people know and believe. And he quotes, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, which, is, uh, really, which is sometimes summarized as the law of just retribution. Uh, and uh, I just want to find out, uh, just think, is, is, that, is that a law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that you feel that you would be trying to live out? Just put your hand up if you think, on the whole, I would try and live my life according to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Anybody? Okay. I'm, I'm going to try and change your mind a little bit. Here's why. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, is thought of as brutal and bloodthirsty. Because clearly, if we go about gouging out each other's eyes and knocking out each other's teeth, uh, that is not a good way of going. But I need to give you a bit of background so that we can all understand an eye for a tooth, a tooth for a tooth, and we can also understand the way that Jesus builds on that. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was legal guidance to the court, to authority. It was not something that two people uh, could use for themselves. It was expressly designed, so if I have an argument with Jack, which I, we never have, have we? I don't think so. If I, but if we did, if I had an argument with Jack, an eye for an eye, two for two, is to stop me going and punching Jack. Instead, I would then go and talk to someone else and say, Jack and I are having an argument. Can you please, you know, I think he owes me this. He says he owes me that. Can you help us work out what for what? And when they're deciding what's going to happen, they would say, whatever he's done, if he's done something, he's so nice, he wouldn't really. But if he had done something, if he'd stolen my bike, then the just response would be that he gives me a new one. So that's what an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth means. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth limits revenge. So if Jack and I are still having the same argument, and I think he nicks my bike, so I go and slash his car tires, and then he comes around my house, and puts a brick through my window, and I go around his house and pour petrol through the door in a match, you know, and what happens is it escalates. And you've seen it, like, in your relationships with, with your brothers and your sisters and with other friends, that revenge, it, it, it never stays still, does it? So if Jack does something to me, I'm going to pay him back, but with a bit of interest, as me and my brothers used to say. So it's, it's, it's all about stopping revenge escalating, stopping it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. An eye for an eye is also about equality. Now, if Jack was royalty, if Jack was royalty, and he said to me that his eye was more important than my eye, the law in the Old Testament would say, actually, that's complete nonsense. Jack's eye even if it is royalty, is the same as, it's the same value as my eye as a peasant. And the two are exactly the same. So rich people can't say to poor people, what we've lost is more valuable than what you've lost. We're all the same. My eye, your eye, they're all the same. Doesn't matter who you are. Lastly, an eye for an eye was always 
understood metaphorically. It was picture language. It was never about, people didn't go about gouging out each other's eyes and knocking out each other's teeth. It was a guide to fair comp compensation. So if you stole someone's cow, then, or you killed someone's cow, then the, the court could say, you need to go and replace their cow. It was all about fair compensation when two people had fallen out. In Leviticus 19, we read this, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So it's interesting. In this, one of the places in the Old Testament where we read, love your neighbor, we also read that we should not seek revenge. So this is all there. It's all there in the Old Testament. And Jesus is, rem Jesus is reminding the people that are listening to him what God really teaches. But he's also saying, as he does with all of the other bits on the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's raising us to a new standard. And the question will be whether we are really willing to follow him. You can see how that phrase, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, could be twisted so that it demands revenge. So if, you're, if you live your life by an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you could always be thinking about how to demand and get revenge from other people. And you could twist the Bible by saying, oh, actually, I'm owed revenge. It's rightfully mine. And Jesus says, no, you are not owed revenge. He then gives four examples of what he's talking about. And we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at what he meant. But there, it's all under the banner of not taking revenge. Now, all four of the examples that Jesus gives feature somebody who is trying to cheat us or humiliate us or hurt us. So he's under no illusions that what they are trying to do is evil. It is nasty. It will result in hurt for us. Uh, the question is, how will I respond to this hurt, to this humiliation, to this cheating? Let me be clear. Jesus does not repeat, does not call us passively to surrender to evil behavior. Jesus is sometimes misrepresented as saying that. Uh, some of you who know your philosophy may have come across a German philosopher called Nietzsche. And Nietzsche spent time mocking Jesus, particularly for passages like this. He thought Jesus was weak. He talked about Jesus' slave morality. He was wanting people to be strong, to stand up for themselves. And so for Nietzsche, if someone did something that you didn't like, then the way to handle that was to show strength and was to obliterate them, was to show that by your own inner strength, you were stronger, bigger, better person than Jesus. And he really, really didn't like what Jesus had to say. But Jesus doesn't say passively surrender. He says take an active initiative to overcome evil with good and with love and to look for the redemption of the person who is hurting us. 
And we're going to focus very briefly on the first and arguably most famous of Jesus' four examples, which Will Smith so beautifully acted out uh, for us. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, says Jesus, uh, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, bear with me here. I I would like you to turn to the person next to you, please. And just, I I want to see, if if you're left-handed, you need to assume that you're right-handed. So turn to the person next to you and work out, work out the mechanics of how you would slap them on the right cheek. So just don't do it, don't do it. Just work out the mechanics. Great, okay. So, um, Jack, can I just borrow you? Just gonna borrow Jack for a second. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, Jack, uh, please will you show us which is your right cheek, please? Which is your right cheek? This one here, okay. So I'm right-handed. So how am I going to slap him on the right cheek? The only way to do it is back of the hands. Okay? Thank you, Jack. Sit down. Great. Okay. That's the only way. Now, even in our culture, even in our culture, if you hit someone, bang, like that, with the back of your cheek, that is, in, even in our culture, that is deeply rude, it is not designed, first and foremost, to cause them physical pain. It's not, it's not about the, the, the actual slap on the cheek. What it's designed to do is to belittle them and humiliate them and make them, kind of, in a sense, communicate your disdain and your hatred for them. That's what it's designed to communicate. And so Jesus' example sets that up. Someone slaps you with the back of your hand, by their hands, how are you going to respond? Now, I want you to put yourself in my position now as the, as the person that did the slap. Now, what would happen, put yourself in my shoes, if I give Jack this fantastic backhanded slap? Might do, might do, Andrew. So, but what, what would happen if instead, and Jack is so holy this would probably happen, if instead he just, he refound his focus and he breathed out and then he slowly turned to me his left cheek as if to say, go on, slap me again. Now what, what is Jack saying to me in that moment? I think he's saying a number of things. It's really interesting. I think he's first of all saying, certainly initially, I am not going to hit you back. Okay? I'm not going to pay you back tit-for-tat revenge. I'm not going to play the you slap me, I slap you game. So in that sense, he is saying no to eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Although eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was always something that somebody else did, the court did, authority did. It was never about what I did. Secondly, by offering the chance to slap him again, Jack is is helping me to see exactly what I've done. He's helping me to see exactly how cruel I have been that first time. Because I'd I'd have to go through the whole process again. I'd have to summon up all that disdain, all that desire to humiliate him, all that desire to belittle him and do it all over again. I might do it. 
but I might stop for a moment and think, well, where did all of that come from? Thirdly, Jack has turned the tables on me. I meant that slap to humiliate him and intimidate him. But instead, he's now taken control of the situation. And I would find that deeply unsettling. I thought I was in charge. Suddenly, by turning his cheek, Jack is showing that he's in charge. It might infuriate me as the person who slapped him. I might still slap him a second time. But he's not done what I thought he would do. I thought he would either curl up in a ball or he'd hit me back. Jack has surprised me. He's done something courageous and strong. And lastly, Jack has also left me a way out. He has left open the opportunity for me to see what I've done and to apologize and to make amends. I have hurt him. He has given me a second chance. Now, you'll have to look at the other three in your own time and work out how Jesus is applying the principle. It's a call, it's repeated in Romans 12, not to take personal revenge, but actively to overcome evil with good. The third situation is very poignant. It's about a degrading act of colonial exploitation. A Roman soldier in Jesus' day had the right to stop a Jewish man or a Jewish woman and force them to carry all their kit, all of their equipment for one mile. Now, can you imagine, uh, as someone who's living in a country that's occupied uh, by another country, how humiliating and frustrating uh, that would be? But Jesus says turn the tables on the soldier by offering them a second mile when you get to the end of the first mile. Then you show them you are not a humiliated slave, but you are setting the agenda. You're not ultimately under their dodgy authority because you are under the authority of another king, a greater king the real king, a king of love, and a king of second chances. Now Jesus gives us these word pictures to help us see how we should not take personal revenge on the people who hurt us and wish us harm. I don't think this applies to countries or tribes at war. I don't think this applies to somebody surprising you on a dark alley one night. This is about established relationships where someone does something to hurt you and humiliate you. It's not about our lives being in danger. It's about what we do when someone has really hurt us and where, as one of the people on the, on the, on the, um, the video said, it's when the red mist comes down and we are consumed with a desire to get our own back. And Jesus wants us to have some, a little alarm that goes off in our heads in those moments. Let me summarize, I think, what he's teaching. First is that we do not take tit-for-tat revenge. We don't get into the you-hit-me-I-hit-you thing. Otherwise, our behavior is dictated by the one who wishes us ill. 
Jesus says, in that moment, we have a choice between either a passive echo of evil, we just, we just echo back the evil that's been done to us, or we can return a courageous response of love. It's really hard, but that is up to us. Secondly, we're choosing not to descend into a vicious cycle of retribution. We choose the weapons. We choose the unfamiliar, uncomfortable ground of engagement, aiming to overcome evil with good. Or we choose the active resistance of love. It's not about being passive. Thirdly, we are choosing to offer the chance of redemption to the person who wrongs us. Or, if you like it, we are choosing to show, even in that moment, as the red mist descends, that we are able to see the person who's wronged us, we are able to see them as a friend with whom we have restored, with whom we've reconciled, rather than them remaining an enemy. So we've shown in the courage of that moment that we can see that person, we can visualize them as a restored friend uh, rather than an eternal enemy. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Now, as we finish, uh, you are possibly thinking that is the most naive, idealistic pile of tosh that you've heard in quite some time. Uh, let me ask you to consider uh, one last thing. We understand, I think today, I think maybe then we've understood it for a long time, in a sense, what what bitterness and a desire for revenge does to people's souls. And that's a whole other sermon. Uh, all I can say from my own experience, both things that I've lived through and things that I've seen other people live through, is that that's absolutely true. That the desire for revenge to get even is something that completely destroys people's souls. As well as at seeing the terrible effect it has on communities as we take chunks out of each other. But that's not my last point. My last point is that Jesus lived out, literally lived out his own words. And I love that about Jesus, that he doesn't, like so many people, he doesn't just say random stuff that might be challenging, but is ultimately useless. He literally lived this out. We need to understand the cross of Jesus not as an act of passive compliance. That Jesus sort of lays himself out as the doormat of the universe uh, on which uh, the universe can just pile on all their nonsense and their rubbish. Jesus' cross was not that. It wasn't passive. It wasn't him being a doormat. It was a revolutionary act of love to win us back. Even at that moment, the deepest darkness as he's crying out in desolation, what's he visualizing? He's visualizing you as his restored friend. Even when it's your sin that keeps him on the cross. Jesus lives out at the truth of this. Today, as we remember so many acts of courage 
and self-sacrifice on the battlefield. We remember that every single person here and every single people, every single person watching is caught up at some level in the battle between good and evil. But we fight that battle with Jesus as our king. And if Jesus is our king, this is what we will do. We will dare. We will dare to overcome evil with good. And we'll, we will dare when the red mist descends to overcome evil with love. And we will dare to overcome evil with courage. And it will be really hard. But as we do so, we will also hold on to the hope of redemption for the very people that hurt us. Wouldn't it be beautiful beyond description if all the people in this room responded in that way this week, this month, this year. Help us. Help us, Jesus. Amen.